Yo, yo, yo. What's up, my man? Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm very, very excited to share my interview with none other than Jake Kaufman. Now, Jake Kaufman is a uh, he's a motivational speaker, he's a coach, and a mentor, and this guy has a really powerful message targeting high-performing men like yourself, um, entrepreneurs, executives, and really has found a way, I would say, to merge uh, clinical psychology, philosophy, and personal development into a really, really powerful message. I, I don't think we've ever had anybody quite like Jake on the podcast. He's, um, he's incredibly well-read, he's well-researched, and he really knows his stuff. And he just tackles, you know, some of the same subjects that you guys have heard us talk about before here in a way that, quite frankly, I've never heard about before. So he he was just a fascinating guy to listen to. Uh, we talked about deconstructing fate and why, you know, sometimes we think what we think is fate is actually our own wounding. Uh, we talked about why grief is unfinished hurt and what it looks like to really grieve healthily as a man. And we talked about why men do not have anger issues. And I'm just going to leave that one there. I'll let you guys uncover that one as we go through. But this was a riveting interview from start to finish. You're going to really, really enjoy it. I just know it. And I want to encourage you, this is not an interview to be doing three different things at once. I know lots of you guys listen to this while you're driving, while you're jogging. Fine. No problem at all. But nothing more than that, okay? This is not like an interview to have in the background. This stuff is chock full. There's a lot of depth here, and I want you guys to get the fullness of it. So make sure that you're in a focused state, that you can really take in um, good, meaty information. And you know what? If, uh, if you do that, I can pretty much guarantee you this episode will make you a better man and a little bit more into the likeness of Christ. That's the goal uh, of this podcast with every episode we do. So anyway, let me stop rambling. Without further ado, guys, here is Jake Kaufman. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. All right, great. Well, I'm here with my new friend, Jake Kaufman. And you and I have been connected through a mutual friend. And I, I love your message, man. I love what you're up to. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Sathya, thanks so much, my friend. It's a pleasure to be here. So you and I have something in common, which is that we're very passionate about helping men. And mm-hmm. I would say we are um, aligned in the sense that we we know that the kind of softer side of masculinity has been neglected, um, especially just like having healthy emotional lives and showing up properly in relationships, all that kind of stuff. Sure. The, the listeners of this show will know from my story and all the people we brought on here most yep. people don't get into this space without some experience of their own. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit of your personal journey that's kind of led you to do the work you're up to today. Sure, sure. So again, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm super excited for this conversation. But uh, as far as my story and what led me to doing the work I am I'm doing today, when I was, I think it was in my mid-20s, mid to late 20s, roughly 10 years ago, I started to notice that I was repeating certain patterns in my life. And although I didn't have language for it at the time, what I would say to one of my clients now, um, or to you is that the pattern always reveals the problem. 
And so I started to I started to key in on the fact that I was repeating these patterns. Um, most notably, only being able to go to a certain depth in romantic relationship, mm. and honestly in friendship and with my family, and getting fired from every professional job I've ever had. Wow. Not necessarily for like nefarious reasons or, or purposes, but sure. it, it would always just be the same, uh, same song, different dance, same package, different bow type of situation. And so obviously this led me to be incredibly frustrated and I decided that I needed to take a deeper look to figure out like what was driving these, these patterns, what was, what was beneath them, what was ultimately responsible for them because it became very clear after several years of doing this that if I didn't figure it out, I would just continue to go on uh, repeating the same patterns. And, you know, I think Carl Jung has a really great way of saying this, which is until we make the unconscious conscious, it will continue to direct your life and you will call it fate. Mm, wow. And so, and so I started working with a therapist um, who actually happened to also be an elder at the church that I grew up attending. And Throughout our work together, I started to communicate to him like the interpersonal struggles that I had when it came to intimacy, love, and, and connection, most specifically in relationship. Yeah. And so we started to kind of go back in time to determine like, okay, what is responsible for this? Where does this come from? When did it start? And throughout our work together, it ultimately had me acknowledge that an experience that I went through when I was roughly 12 or 13 was sexual abuse that I had simply been not acknowledging that I had been running from for 15 years. And had you, had you suppressed it? Like, was it, was it like you're in the office and mm -hmm. all of a sudden this memory's coming up and you're like, I completely forgot about that. Or were you more sure. aware of it? So I was fully aware of it. Um, okay. I didn't, I didn't dissociate, although that's very prevalent and very common where you have, uh, people and, and men who go through a traumatic experience like that and they completely dissociate. And it's not until they get into a therapeutic relationship um, or a counseling relationship where all of a sudden uh, it comes to the conscious level and, yeah. and they're able to then obviously work with it and do something about it and, and heal it. Uh, for me, I was always aware of the fact that it had happened, but it was treated as a joke because it happened at summer camp and it didn't happen in secret or in silence. It happened like around a group of people. And all of these wow. people were friends that I grew up with, friends that I went to school with, K through 12, uh, same town, same church, all growing up. And no one tried to stop it. And they all treated it and kind of brushed it off as this, as this joke, which that's how I started to treat it because I mirrored their response. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, uh, which as a 12 or 13 year old is, is totally understandable uh, because right. We don't really have the mental resources at that age to know what to do with that type of an experience or yeah. the emotions that come up with it. Yeah. Uh, and so it wasn't until like 15 years later in speaking with my therapist, my counselor, that I detailed this experience and he was like, wait a minute, what happened? <laughs> and, and then I started to repeat myself and, and I actually tell this entire story in the book and right. it was... It was watching his reaction, the reaction on his face to me repeating uh, the story and telling him in greater detail about what happened that I was like, oh, that was more than just like a sick joke that someone played, wasn't it? And he was like, have you ever thought more about 
what that was or what it meant or how it impacted or affected you. And I was like, that was abuse, wasn't it? And he was like, yeah, it was. And in that moment, I was finally able to connect the dots because as you can probably imagine, after that incident, love, connection, and intimacy fundamentally felt unsafe. Right. Yeah. And so understandably, I started to hold people at arm's length because letting them in, allowing them to see me who me for who I really was felt like a threat in my system. Yeah. And, And so obviously most of this was unconscious. It was an unconscious reaction in response to pain. Yeah. But it created a host of interpersonal problems. It created an inability to connect at a very deep level in romantic relationship. And and when I did allow myself to go there, inevitably, I would end up sabotaging and breaking off the relationship for, you know, inconsequential reasons. Um, And and it was always very sudden, very abrupt. Uh, But also it would lead to a host of interpersonal problems to relating to people like in a work environment where collaboration is needed and, and, you know, communication, effective communication is necessary. And so it wasn't until I connected those dots and was like, oh, this is what is is ultimately at the root of all of this. Mm. Uh, And and, until I work through this, until I really uh, address this, heal this, I'm just going to continue repeating these patterns and struggle with the emotional side effects of it. Cause I was, like I mentioned, incredibly frustrated that I knew that I was meant for more, that God had, you know, a bigger purpose for my life and, and could use me in profound ways. Yeah. But I wasn't even scratching the surface of that potential. And so it created a, a an incredible amount of internal conflict and turmoil. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And your story is very relatable for our audience. We've we've had a couple of guests now talk about sexual abuse a little bit more. And even in our client mm-hmm. base, we're observing like this is a, is a major sure. issue. So thank you for going there so early. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. And I, I guess the million dollar question is, you know, it's one thing to mm-hmm. know, okay, I have this problem. It's another thing to connect the dots and see how it's impacting your reality. But how did you ultimately heal and start to move on from the abuse? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you you pointed out a very important distinction, which is that it's one thing to uncover something. It's a whole other thing to undo something. Mm. And and the ego, our false self, is going to convince us that simply by bringing something into our awareness, we, we've had a breakthrough when in reality, all that we've had is an epiphany. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? That, that, that actually hasn't been integrated and metabolized in our system yet and led to sustainable behavior change. And, and that's what I'm all about, uh, especially in the work with my clients, is long-lasting, sustainable behavior change. Otherwise, what's the point? Yes. Uh, but in terms of healing and transformation, transformation always goes from the I to the we to the all. And so for myself, I had to heal within the context of my relationship to self. Because we now know that trauma is much, much more about what happened inside of us as a result of what happened to us as opposed to what actually happened, the stories and the beliefs that we made up about ourselves as a result. Uh, And so I had to reconcile those internal beliefs and the identity that was created as a result of this young boy being abused and how that 
severely negatively impacted my confidence, my self-esteem, uh, my trust in others, as you can probably imagine. And yeah. therefore the depth of connection that I was available for because my trust had been severely violated. Uh, and then of course I needed to actually grieve and experience the emotions that the incident created that I had just been repressing, suppressing, and in many respects, performing um, over top of my abuse, uh, which is where where most men uh, find themselves today is they're just performing over top of their trauma, over top of their neglect or their abuse. Yeah. They're just unconscious to it, right? Um, they're performing their way around the pain. They're taking on this persona um, that isn't actually them, but a reflection of who they think they need to be in order to be loved, accepted, and successful. But this this puts that at odds within themselves and insert coping mechanism or insert the need for a coping mechanism. Yeah, insert addiction, insert, you know, compulsive behavior, whatever it might be. Um, right. Was there a point, I mean, I, you and I both know, like, this is obviously a process. It's not like, sure. you know, you start to heal and instantly you're there. But I'm curious if you had any right. moments along the way where you started to observe like, oh, I really am changing or I really am healing. Did you have any moments along mm -hmm. the way where you could tell that like, I'm actually becoming a, a new person in this process? Yeah, it's definitely a progression as you pointed out. But I mean, the biggest benchmarker for me was in people starting to receive me differently because of course I was showing up differently. Yeah. And so all of a sudden the, the depth of connection that I was capable of creating in my friendships, in my romantic relationships, uh, and especially with my family as well, got noticeably better, mm. noticeably better in terms of, like I mentioned, the depth of connection, but also the intimacy and the vulnerable conversations uh, that were had, the psychological safety that was created as a result of those vulnerable conversations. And honestly, the opportunities that started to come my way as a result, because of course, all of this bled into my professional life as well. And the relationships um, that I had in my professional life, both with uh, clients, with business partners, with collaborators, uh, with fellow people in my space, uh, fellow yeah. associates in my space, as you can imagine, more opportunities started to come my way because I started to be more available for them from an emotional perspective, from an energetic perspective. And so those were the biggest, most notable things is that the more I did this work, uh, not only did the better my relationships get, um, which I realize is, is kind of an esoteric, um, more qualitative than quantitative benchmark. Uh, sure. But from a quantitative perspective, the better my business started to do financially speaking. Yeah. Uh, and so I took that as, as really evidence that like I'm on the right path here. I, I'm, I'm onto something here with this interpersonal work, this healing work. Um, in fact, when we think about it from like a biblical perspective, the word salvation literally means healed. Yeah. So the right. more I'm doing this healing work, the better every area of my life uh, starts to work. It's having this ripple effect. Um, yeah. And so that that's kind of what I started to notice the more I stepped into this work. And now I've been in it for almost 10 years. Yeah, that's really cool. And that is the beauty of getting to the more Mm -hmm. causal underlying elements right is if you really do the right. work at, at that fundamental level then inevitably it's going to impact so many different areas of your life and your your mm -hmm. story is a great testament to that you have a statement which is that we need to heal before we transform 
And yeah. I really, really appreciate that. Our three pillars in recovery are building self-awareness, healing of the heart, and establishing your identity in Christ. And so we literally sure. follow that very similar kind of progression. You heal first, and then you establish your identity. Um, sure. I'm wondering if you can talk specifically about how pain and facing your pain kind of factors in, because this is really the premise of your book. And it's mm-hmm. it's what really grabbed me actually about what you're doing, Jake, because I think a lot of, especially in the professional spaces, you know, you're working with a lot of executives, entrepreneurs, that kind of thing. And a lot right. of the messaging is, uh, like you said, like, how do you kind of supersede your trauma? How do you supersede the pain rather yep. than confronting it head on? Can you just talk a little bit about why confronting your pain is so important as kind of mm-hmm. the instigator of the healing process? Yeah, absolutely. Well, from a psychological perspective, from a interpersonal development perspective, the majority of men are simply living out unconsciously the beliefs and the identity that they picked up between the ages of two and seven. Right. And the, and the painful traumatic experiences that happened to them between the ages of two and seven. Now, you know, I experienced what is kind of clinically referred to as like big T trauma, assault, abuse, or like an extreme accident, right. uh, which is actually the rarest form of trauma. We've all been through emotional trauma because uh, again, it's much more about how we internalize that experience or that comment. And everyone has experienced some type of neglect, uh, whether it be emotional neglect or otherwise, or a comment that they simply misinterpreted and made it mean something about themselves, uh, which isn't inherently true. And then they just continue to carry that belief uh, around with them that creates internal resistance or fear that that blocks them from achieving higher levels of success in their life, whether it's relational success, financial success, or otherwise. Mm. Uh, And so most men are just living out this identity and these beliefs that they picked up between the ages of two and seven. So as a result, what we do is we create this false persona, which I'm actually kind of convinced when Paul in the New Testament talks about, you know, the flesh and the spirit, that what he was actually referring to um, with the flesh was the false self. Mm. So this is who we think we need to be in order to be loved, accepted, and successful, which becomes so much of our personality. And so when you think about that, our personality isn't who we are, it's who we've become, where it's this amalgamation of sure, genuine traits, but also these adaptive traits, these compensating characteristics in response to pain or in an attempt to prevent pain. Hmm. So we'll take me for, so we'll take me for example, after my abuse, I started to mask. So I started to take on all these different masks, which actually that's, Uh, The word personality derives from the Latin word persona, which quite literally means mask. Hmm. And so I started to mask in all of these different areas. So I started to act as if, act as if I was fine, act as if I was successful, act as if I had it all together, you know, act as if I was vulnerable and connected, despite the fact that I was very much in control of the distance, you know, in the relationship. Um, and, And so it was all very performative. And when I mean performative, I mean... I'm acting or behaving from the space of this false persona that is not genuinely, authentically me, Mm. but who I think I need to be in order to prevent pain from happening or in direct response to pain. And so this is where most men find themselves today because 
when you grow up in religion or when you grow up in a society that is largely focused on performance, achievement, success, and the pursuit of accolades, for example, what is the natural, however unconscious response to that? We are naturally going to suppress the less than ideal qualities and characteristics about ourselves. Yeah. Right. Which first half of life religion, uh, you know, it's all about the avoidance of like little bad actions. That's like yeah. the focus. Right. Uh, that's like the the ledger. Well, what do we do? Conversely, we position and we bolster the ideal qualities and characteristics about ourselves. This creates inherently a pressure cooker. Hmm. And when you have this pressure cooker or when you live inside of a pressure cooker, you need a release valve. And that's where addiction comes into play. So when it comes to like overcoming trauma and, and, and overcoming addiction, you know, addiction is just an attempt to solve for a problem, a problem that was instigated by trauma. So when you think about like pornography, for example, but any other addiction really shopping, extreme sports, working out, TV, phones, internet, like even caretaking for other people can be this really beautiful, noble coping mechanism that we ultimately do in order to avoid being with ourselves and being with our pain. Yeah. It's just, it's just much more easily justifiable than say drugs or pornography or alcohol or gambling. Yeah. Um, the wrong question is why the addiction? The right question is why the pain? Mm. Okay. Got it. So when somebody, when you're working with somebody and they're saying, well, I don't really have any pain in my life, Jake. Like I'm, mm-hmm. my life is pretty good. My, my, the marriage is fine. You know, I'm doing well sure. at work or, you know, I'm involved in my church. Um, sure. What, what is it that helps somebody maybe uncover that pain? Because I, and, and I think, I think most men, when they say that they're being genuine, they're not like trying to be sure. cheeky or trying to avoid it. Sure. Sometimes I'm sure right. you have guys who are, who are maybe running away from it a little bit, but I think a lot of guys, I know <laughs> yeah. in my case, like yeah. I remember I lost three friends to suicide in high school mm. and I, I learned to numb at a very young age. I was 14 when I lost my first one and then that he was my closest sure. friend of the three. And mm. I, I would hear these messages about pain and I would say, yeah. oh man, what a, what a great message. But there was mm-hmm. no, I couldn't actually get there, you know, like the calluses were so thick. Right. What, what, is, what is a guy to do if he's hearing this and he says, I'm sure mm-hmm. you're right. I'm, sh- I'm sure of it. You know, you sound like you know right, what you're talking right, right. about, but I just don't know <laughs> yeah. how to get there. How do they access yeah. it? Yeah. Sounds like a good idea in theory. Um, <laughs> yeah. Great question. Well, um, In order to answer your question, it's important that we're all on the same page with how the ego works. And by the ego, I'm just simply referring to the false self. It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, The number one goal of the ego is to maintain the status quo. Okay. Because that's safe. Correct. It's safe. It's what we know and it's what's familiar to us. Okay. What is the best way for it to maintain the status quo? It's to hide the truth from you. Wow. Huh. And we know this because what 90 to 95% of our behavior is dictated by what? Our unconscious mind. Yeah, right. Meaning we can't see it. We can't access it 
on our own. We need some type of medium. We need some type of modality. And in my opinion, eventually we need some type of guide like yourself and the work that you do with men or myself in order to point out what is in their blind spots. And this is why I said in my, you know, my intake form that I sent over to you, I help men go to places within themselves that they can't get to on their own. Mm. Oh man, I love that. Right. So our ego is constantly seeking to maintain the status quo. And the best way for it to do that is to hide the truth from us. Meaning, where do these interpersonal issues really come from and really stem from? What is actually driving them? You know, most men, for example, think that like perpetual stress is simply brought on by life circumstances. But from the work that I do with men, I can tell you right now that in the vast majority of cases, prolonged chronic stress actually comes from things that we suppress. Mm, wow. Yeah, I believe that. I totally believe that. So, okay, I, I want to get to the transform side of it because obviously we're talking about yeah, yeah, pain, yeah. Yep, the healing. Yep. But I got to ask one more question, which is sure. in in the Christian space, and I don't, I don't, do you work exclusively mm-hmm. with, pe- with people of faith or I don't, I don't know if you do I, I don't, but here's what I will say. Um, okay. All of this work eventually at some point leads you to a higher purpose or a higher power. Yeah. How could if it, it not? If, if it doesn't, I can tell you right now that it's, it's counterfeit and that you should get rid of it. Whatever, well, yeah. what, whatever that work is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I totally agree. Especially when we're talking about, you know, like finding the truth and all that stuff. Like it's just, it's embedded in. But the reason I brought that up is the maybe one of the best masks or best facades that we can put on with pain is spirituality. (laughs) You know, like uh, just pray about it or, you know, like this is the attack of the enemy. Um, Jesus is everything I need. I don't need to go to my past. You know, when he's made a glorious future for me, like, you know, you and I have heard it all. What what do you say to somebody who maybe is um, is putting on the spiritual front and saying, I don't think yeah. I really need to do that because Jesus paid it all? Um, well, what I would say is that's a really, really beautiful example of dualistic thinking, okay. which we ultimately have to break out of if we ever hope to live into the truth that Jesus was constantly preaching because he is ultimately the highest example of duality. I mean, in Isaiah 45, 7, he literally says, I create evil. I do both of these things. Hmm. I'm not a pantheist. I'm a panentheist, which is the belief that God is in everything and everything is in God. So what I would say in short is both of those things can be true. Yes, Jesus paid it all. And my grace is sufficient for you, as it clearly points out in scripture. And if someone's coming to me or if someone's coming to you and they're communicating their goals, for example, whatever those goals are, first and foremost, we have to have a discussion about what is preventing you from reaching those goals. Hmm. Otherwise, we wouldn't be on the phone. We wouldn't be yeah. having this con- we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right? Yeah, right. And this is this is where the coaching space by and large falls short. People hire a coach because they want to adopt new high performance habits, they want to reach their goals, et cetera, et cetera. Create a more idealized version of themselves, right? That has them striving towards some distant future. Here's the problem with that. <laughs> um, the ideal that you're looking to create is not out there. It isn't. Mm. It's already here. 
I promise you that. This is why transformation is much, 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 much more about unbecoming, unlearning, and undoing than it is about doing, learning, or becoming. Right, right. right. The hero's journey at the end of the day is always a return home. It's a return to the garden. It's a return back to God, back to our true divine essence, right? Understanding and knowing that like my deepest me is God. My deepest DNA is God. I come from God. I will return to God. It's coming back into realization and relationship with that truth. Hmm. So we have to have a conversation about what is blocking you? What is stopping you? What is getting in the way and preventing you from reaching these goals, right? Or these, these aspirations again, cause we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's nothing wrong with goals, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. There's nothing wrong with uh, aspiring for more, whether it's in your career or, you know, your financial situation or wanting more for you and your family. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have to talk about what is currently getting in the way. What is the source of the resistance that you are bumping up against that's preventing you from getting there on your own? Because if yeah. you can get there on your own, again, we wouldn't be on the phone right now. We wouldn't be having this conversation. 100%. Right? So we have to talk about that. We have to talk about what is at the source of the resistance or the fear or the self-doubt or the insecurity that is presently blocking you from reaching uh, these goals or uh accomplishing these aspirations on your own. You have to start there. Otherwise, yeah. it's incapable of building long-lasting, sustainable transformation. So the focus and, and where most coaching misses the plot entirely is yeah. they actually kind of encourage this without realizing it. They focus, they help their clients focus on adopting you know, high performance habits and new behaviors and, and with biohacking, right? Because that's a big, <laughs> big thing nowadays. Yeah. Um, and so they help their clients reach their goals, whatever the, those goals are, whether they're with regard to their health, their wealth, or their relationships. But without going back into the past and determining what's at the source of the resistance, the fear, the self-doubt, or the insecurities that are getting in the way. Mm. And it's akin to building a house on sand. You can build a house on sand. That's not the question. The question is what happens when the storm comes. Right. Right. We never rise to the level of our goals. We always fall to the level of our beliefs. Hmm. And we see this very prevalently all over the place with lottery winners, for example. Over 70% of lottery winners within 18 months are either back at their former financial situation or in an even worse financial situation. Yes. Before having won the lottery, um, we see this with yo-yo uh, dieting all the time. Um, the, the statistics around people adhering to a diet long-term beyond six to 12 months is incredibly, incredibly low yeah. because they're not, in both instances, they're not doing the requisite work that they need, the interpersonal work, when it comes to addressing the pain so that there is a firm foundation that they can then build upon. The foundation yeah. being my beliefs and my identity and the emotions, the energy that I am continuing to carry around within my nervous system that dictates the vast majority of my actions and my decisions. That's yeah. where the real work is. And that's why men's work fundamentally starts with the question, what have you been doing with your pain? And in many ways, as crazy as it sounds, needs to teach men how to grieve. Yeah. 
Okay, let's talk about that for a minute. I think the greed thing is yeah. huge. And Big time. the the one thing I know I've experienced personally probably in the last I would say the last five years, you know, I got married a few years ago and we sure. moved house, we moved cities, we lived in Jamaica for a little bit, we're getting ready for our first kid in a few months. Cool. Congratulations. And, um, thanks, man. Thanks. So, yeah. So yeah. all very exciting things. And like you were talking about earlier, sometimes yep. um the 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 best masks are the things that are either common or the yep. things that are commendable, right? Totally. So like everybody's super excited for me for all the different changes. Every time we went one of those yep. went through one of those changes. People are excited and there's parties and there's celebrations. But grieving is something I've had to go through in pretty much all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just This is my first full workday in my new office. I just moved out of the home after being awesome. at home for a few years because my wife wants the baby to be in, my, in the room where my office was. So totally fair. Sure. Yep. But there's like legitimate grieving with this change, even though it's super mm-hmm. exciting and it signifies so much, uh, yeah. so many good things. And I've had to learn how to grieve. That was part of even my healing process. Like I mentioned, losing a bunch of friends in high school and not giving myself the space to, to grieve because it was too scary mm-hmm. and I, I chose to yeah. numb the pain. Um, and so we already touched on on the pain part of it, but I'm wondering if you can touch a little bit on grieving. I'm obviously yeah. just using examples where it's like there's loss, but I don't know. I'd love right. to hear you just define it and unpack it a little bit. So I would define grief personally as unfinished hurt. Hmm. Okay. Because grief is different from sadness. Sadness is a normal grief refers to a period, like a season that you go through. Whereas sadness is a pretty much an everyday, very common uh, natural emotion that we experience. Um, you know, but the new always demands the death of the familiar, which is where the ego hides so well. Right. And so whenever we're moving into a new season, it's very common. It's very natural. It's very normal for there to be a certain level of sadness because of the cognitive dissonance that is uh, that one is experiencing as they're stepping into a new season because they're stepping out of the old. They're stepping out of their comfort zone or you know, if we speak the language of the nervous system, they're stepping outside of their window of tolerance, Hmm. right? What their nervous system feels safe to step into, feel safe to receive, because anything that's beyond that, our nervous system experiences it as a threat on some level. Yeah. And and this is where we're most prone to self-sabotage or just self-protection so that we can maintain the old, so that we can maintain what is known and familiar, right? So the sadness is a very natural, normal occurrence and reaction to cognitive dissonance uh, that is created whenever we move into a new season or a new chapter. But a prolonged season of grief, because like I mentioned, that's kind of the distinguishing factor between it and the natural, normal feeling of sadness whenever we're going through a transition. Uh, Grieving is unfinished hurt. And that's a process. Hmm. That's That's a big process. And most men don't realize that that's what it actually is because it typically manifests as what? It typically manifests itself as anger. Yeah, right. Men do not have anger issues, although anger is a byproduct and with it, it comes, uh, you know, breakdown oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes men have grief issues, unfinished hurt issues that are simply manifesting as anger issues. Hmm. So 
whenever we experience pain, whenever we experience trauma, and I, I hesitate to go back, but this is the, this is how we alchemize things and we can powerfully move forward into the future. Yeah. Our, we understandably have an emotional reaction or response to it. But when we're in the ages of two to seven, which is when the major, that's when 70% of our cognitive development happens <laughs> right there in that five-year window. Um, and then obviously on through our, our teenage years, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the book, but it's, oh, it's called The Biology of Transcendence. And it talks about the different windows, the different thresholds. As a father, you should pick it up or as a soon-to-be yeah. father, you should pick it up because it talks about the different biological windows in which our brains as young children and as adolescents uh, basically access like um, higher understanding and and cognition mm. and, and what that does and and the experiences that play a really pivotal pivotal role in determining who we become right mm. um and all of those windows are before the age of 18 all every single one wow so everything after that is simply in reaction to what happened prior to 18 Right. So I say that to say we experience understandably certain emotions whenever we experience pain. But when we're really young children and we're adolescents, we don't know how to transmute that pain. So the most common typical response is, is to do what? It's to do nothing. It's to, just like I did, it's to suppress it, it, repress it, brush it under the rug, pretend like it didn't happen, like it didn't affect me. And yeah. just continue continue on masking and pretending as if everything is fine and, you know, as if I have it all together. And then what do we have? We have a generation of men who are addicted to or who need anti-anxiety medication, yeah. uh, anti-depressive medication. Um, suicide is at an all-time high. Um, or there's pervasive pornography addiction, which is, right, the line of work that you're in. Yeah. Uh, and so... Until we do that and until we clear out those emotions unconsciously and in our nervous system, we're going to continue to attach emotion to experience. And so part of the work of healing is separating those two things so that we're no longer attaching these, these emotion, these old emotions like sadness, bitterness, anger, resentment, frustration, right? Very, the, the most common um, emotions when it comes to uh, pain. Or, or a traumatic experience, until we do the work of detaching those things and separating emotion from experience, we're just going to continue to recycle those emotions. Until we reconcile the past, we're going to continue to do what? We're going to continue to recycle it in the present moment. And we're just going to do so unconsciously and project it onto other people, pass it on uh, throughout our lineage. Yeah. And so when we do this work and the more that we do this work, and this is answer into your, this is to answer your previous question. How do we get there? Right. Yeah. Right. How do we get there? I can promise you this. You go down this path long enough. You won't have to worry about getting there. You'll be taken there. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You will, you will be taken there. I promise you, you will have a belly of the whale experience just like Jonah yeah. Where you are, where you are completely suspended, limited, out of control, and confined. The truest word for that is suffering. Yeah. And this is um, Thomas Merton, uh, 19th century Christian mystic, referred to this space as liminal space, meaning threshold. Yeah. 
It is the the space in between your old self and your new self, your false self and your true self. In the hero's journey, it's referred to the cave if you're familiar with the framework for storytelling, but it's also very much a framework for the interpersonal spiritual journey that we must go on in order to return to wholeness or return back to God and our divine essence where our life is no longer about us, right? It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yeah. That space is, and if you believe in Merton's point of view, he believes that that is the only space that true transformation happens. All this other stuff that we do is really just bogus self-help on our own terms. In many ways, it's in many ways, it's us using the ego to solve for the ego, which only gives us a more cleverly disguised ego. (laughs) So, which, which gets us going. Right. And it's, it's important, right? This, this, this idea that I am not who I'm not the man that I aspire to be. Right. That is, that is what we all need to kind of come to a point within our thought process uh, that I am not that, which is what gets us going. Yeah. But eventually what do we do? We return back to this, this reality, this truth that, oh, the, the true me that I've been aspiring to be or become has been here the entire time. Yeah. yeah. It's just a clearing, a clearing out of the old, a dying to the old self, yeah. right? The flesh, the flesh, as Paul would call it, I would call it the false self or the ego so that I can fully experience this divine union that has always been true, that has always been there, I've just operated as if it wasn't. I forgot. Mm, yeah. I forgot. And that's why transformation and healing is really just remembering. Yeah. In many reminds, ways. It reminds me a lot of like the Israelites in the wilderness who at some point yeah. were like, man, it was so much easier in Egypt. At least there was food on the table every day, a shirt on yeah. our backs. So we didn't have to worry about all this. Um, I'm wondering, and I think this is where your work is so important and the value of having a coach or a guide becomes really immeasurable because at some point, if you really do want to transform or you really do want to heal, you will reach this point of suffering or this point where it just seems easier to turn mm-hmm. back. And I think when people do this yeah. this journey on their own, whether it's porn addiction or they're trying to be more fulfilled and successful in, in their lives um, yep. or something in between, I think a lot of people on their own, it's a very small percentage you can actually push through who actually have the Correct. foresight and the wherewithal. Yeah. And I think this is where the value of a guide is so important. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I guess my question to you would be, um, how how does somebody make the most of that season? So other than, mm. uh, other than maybe having somebody who is yeah. guiding them along the way, the one thing I remember, I, I, my wife and I had a lot of conversations about this during the pandemic because, you know, it was, yeah. it was financial stress and we were in the middle yep. of a move and there was a lot going on and I, I just noticed everybody was in such a rush to like, to talk about, oh, it'll only be a couple of weeks, right? We all heard that at the beginning. And get then out of like, it. yeah, let's, let's get out of it, right? <laughs> Everybody's just trying to figure out how do we get out of this quickly as possible? And yeah. I remember it was one of my leaders who was like, oh, Winston, I think it was Winston Churchill who said, never waste a good crisis. And yep. um, it, it really stuck with me, even on a personal level of like, this is actually such a great growth opportunity. And I don't want to, I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to rush through it. Uh, it, it will get through this at some point. But I don't need to know when I want to like, I want to really embrace this process. But I don't, you know, I know that because I've already been through so many other processes myself. And I don't know that necessarily everybody has. 
how would you encourage somebody to mm-hmm. capitalize? How do they harness the most of those suffering seasons mm-hmm. rather than just trying to rush through it and be pain-free again? Allow it to eat you. Hmm. We have a very terrible relationship in the Western world with pain. Uh, even if we look at like baptism, right? It became this like christening event. <laughs> right. When when in in the old church, it was a dying ceremony, right? To signify dying to my old self through drowning. Right. <laughs> That's how baptism became a thing, like dipping under the water. We made it this whole like christening th- thing because um, we have a really horrible relationship with with pain and what it can do for us and the transport the transformative nature and power of it. It was always meant to be a dying ceremony. Mm, wow. Whenever we're in the belly of the whale, I think it's a very instinctual, natural, normal reaction to want to get out of it. Yes. Right. To want to get out of it um, as quickly (laughs) as possible. But the best way to ruin liminal space where true transformation is only possible is to be effective, efficient and goal oriented. (laughs) Right. Because what's what's the true purpose of liminal space? It's to get us to surrender. Yeah. Which is ultimately where um, Jonah found himself. Right. Because in the beginning, he refused the call. Yeah. Right. Right. Just like in the beginning of the hero's journey, there's the call and then there's a refusal of the call. Hmm. And then what happened after what I think it was three days and three nights, right? In the belly of the whale, he was like, All right, God, I'll do it. (laughs) What you're telling me to do, I will, I will do it. Yeah. And he fully surrendered. Right, not just to God, but to this higher purpose, this higher power. Right, we make it about like being obedient to God, although like there that plays a part, sure. Mm-hmm. But really, it's more so about letting go of our strong willpower, our mental resources, what we think is best, and surrendering into this bigger, larger storyline that is so much bigger than us. Right. Yeah. It's the it's the thing that forces us um out of individuation, which is all like that's the first half of life. It's all about like establishing myself and building my tower, climbing the mountaintop, conquering, you know, the mountain. Yeah. Individuate individuation. That's what the first half of life is all about. The second half of life is all about transcendence and transformation. And yeah. unfortunately, suffering uh seems to really be, at least for men. Uh, the only thing that can get us there. Um, I do think that there are two primary catalysts for transformation and that's great love or great suffering. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree. And I, I do, I do agree that for whatever, for whatever reason, it's the great <laughs> suffering that seems to be the for more men. prevalent catalyst in men. Yeah, um, we need to smack upside the head, you know? Seriously. Yeah. And myself included <laughs> in that for sure. So uh, yeah. I totally get it. Okay. So let's um, with the time we have left, Tell me a little bit about transcendence, transformation. And you used a word earlier that I really appreciated, truth. You know, that often Mm -hmm. it is our avoidance or our resistance to truth that prevents us from really transforming. Um, Can you talk about how these all kind of coalesce and and what that 
journey looks like when somebody has has I guess made it through the parts we've mm-hmm. discussed up until this point pain and and suffering reaching the place of surrender and now right. ready to grow and transform so this is really interesting and um, I only discovered this very recently because truth actually has a frequency as you can probably imagine mm. um, lies deceit they also they also have a frequency which is why when you're like questioning like is this person being fully honest with me? The answer is probably no, <laughs> because, <laughs> because you're picking up on the energy that they are putting out in the process of commu- in the process of communicating with you. Um, all emotions have a frequency as well. Shame and guilt being the, the lowest. Uh, right. So the more we operate or entertain shame and guilt, uh, the more sad, depressed, anxious we tend to become. Yeah. Uh, love or oneness being the highest, but they recently discovered that there's one above that uh, in terms of vibrational frequency, and that is authenticity. Huh. Wow. Which I think is so perfect because that's what we've been talking about this entire time, that the ultimate goal of transcendence and transformation is what? A return to our authentic self. Right. A, a return to God, a return to the garden, right? Because that's yeah. what happened with sin and with Adam. Like they left the garden, right? We need to come back to the garden, back into oneness with God, and all of a sudden realize that, oh, this, this separation, uh, this egoic game that I've been playing, you know, by looking to all of these external things to, to fill this internal void, um, has not sufficed, hmm. right? God created the void that God alone can fill. Yeah. So the whole point of this journey is to come back to our true authenticity, our true identity in Christ. Yes. One of one of your pillars in your in your work that was always meant to be the end goal. It's not to get somewhere out there to accomplish some arbitrary goal of having a seven-figure business or having like this big of a house or whatever it is for you. Yeah. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that desire, but it was always meant to be coming back into relationship with our divine essence and our oneness with God. Hmm. That's so so the net so the natural byproduct is doing that which comes most naturally to us huh because that is our deepest essence right we always secretly gravitate towards that which we love the most yeah so what what do you do when you relax because when you're operating in a place of full authenticity you relax because you've got nothing to prove you've got nothing to protect you've got nothing to posture you're no longer performing from this false persona so that you can be loved, accepted, and successful. So when you're operating in full authenticity, you relax. And what do you do? What do you do when you relax? You embrace that which is most natural to you. Hmm. And I would suggest that that's your that's your higher purpose. Right. Dang, that's good, man. That's really good. So for somebody who is who's struggling to find their purpose, find their sense of self, somebody who's lacking that clarity on next steps, next directions, like everything we're talking about, about regulating the nervous system, about finding those places of safety, legitimate safety, genuine safety, 
reaching that place of just uh, authenticity. It's so beautifully said. Mm-hmm. That sounds like that. That's the gateway to it all. And yeah. we just had John Gordon on here. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he really, I mean, he was actually quite renowned for uh, spearheading a lot of uh, positive psychology and that kind of stuff. But okay. he's, awesome. um, but you know, he found Jesus along the way and has really just wrote an incredible book uh, called, I think it's called The One Truth. And okay. it's literally all about oneness. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And about how a lack of oneness, separation and isolation are at the basis yeah. of a lot of the dysfunction we experience, you know, interpersonally and at large in our society. And really interesting. Yeah, so we've been talking about this in our communities and stuff like that. It's cool that you mentioned it. I didn't know you were going to go there. Um, yeah. For I want to respect your time, but I guess for somebody who is listening to this, who's saying, okay, Jake, I, I feel unfulfilled. Um, you know, yeah. maybe they have the success but um, internally, mm-hmm. they feel unfulfilled, or even sure. a, even achieving success is a problem. Like you mentioned, that this was a, a impacting your own professional career, and that's not a, mm-hmm. a unique experience. Um, what what should somebody be doing? You know, what would you tell somebody who who mm-hmm. maybe um, you know has a semblance of success or has some things working, but they're yeah. they're unhappy, they're empty, they can't quite seem to you know hit that mark. I would say that that is indicative and ultimately a sign of unreconciled pain. Hmm. That's what I would say first and foremost. And I would also suggest that, especially when it comes to addiction, um, you know, if you're familiar with any 12-step program, the, the true paradox of life, and the Bible talks about this beautifully, we lose it to find it. There's three parables about losing something in the Bible and then finding it again. The coin, the sheep, the coin, the sheep, and the prodigal son. We give it away to keep it. Right. We die to live. That is the pattern in life. Although we fervently try to deny that. Hmm. Right. Um, which is why if, if you're familiar with any 12-step program, like I mentioned, um, the first three steps in any 12-step program can fundamentally be summed up in this way. I can't. God can. So let God. Hmm. It, right. comes, it comes with acknowledging our powerlessness over our pain, over our addiction, And that's when you can truly begin. Carl Jung mentioned that the first step in transformation, in alchemizing pain, is confession. And like we see this reflected in uh, the Catholic Church. Actually, they have a really beautiful practice for this, where there's there's not just there's not just confession, individual confession, but there's also corporate confession or uh, you know collective confession uh, as a body, as a church. And this is um, unfortunately less common amongst evangelical denominations. But that's when we can truly deal with the issue at hand. When we acknowledge it, that when we acknowledge it and the 12 step program points this out beautifully until I acknowledge that I am an addict and I truly believe that 90% of people are addicted. The other 10% are just lying about it Um, (laughs) until we acknowledge our powerlessness, our need for God. We're just going to continue to go on playing this egoic game and pretending like we don't have an issue and it's going to continue yeah. to haunt us. So no matter how much success we end up creating, we're still going to be met with this internal void that only God can fill. Yeah. Oh, 
Dude, so good. Your uh, your bio said that you're a coach and you're a mentor, but uh, you need to add philosopher to that list, man. You got <laughs> you got a lot of depth to you. I really appreciated what you uh, provided here today. Can you tell us tell us about the book and anywhere yep. else that our audience can connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. So the the book is a blueprint for growth and healing. It's called Let Love In: The Pain Stops When the Truth Starts, which is exactly what we were just talking about. Yeah. Um, by Jacob Kaufman. That's K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N. You can obviously get it on Amazon, um, but you can also get it through my website, awakewithjake.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter to kind of stay in touch and um, get my weekly newsletter. But uh, if you want to connect with me, we'd love to hear how this conversation has impacted you. Uh, You can do so through Instagram. And my handle is I am Jake Kaufman. Again, that's K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N. Okay, we'll put links in the show notes to everything. In the meantime, man, we're cheering you on. Thank you so much for your time today, Jake. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you having me. Well, there you have it. Jake Kaufman, unbelievable interview. Learned so much from that guy and really appreciate his heart, his ability to articulate his message and a very well-roundedness. I was really impressed. So that was really cool. Guys, go get his book, okay? Um, I mean, some of these guys that come on the podcast, you know, they have a program and they have Instagram and they have these courses and all this kind of stuff. But I like it when they come on. And it's like, Hey, I have a book, go grab the book. So the book is there. It's called let love in the pain stops when the truth starts by Jacob Kaufman. He is also on Instagram. So we'll put the link in the show notes. And if you want to look at his coaching, um, then you can click it, follow, just follow the links on his Instagram. That's probably the easiest way. Or I think he said it's awake with Jake.com. So anyways, the links are on the show notes. Go check out his stuff, support the cause and get healed. And if you listen to this and you're like, man, oh man, I get it. I'm finally seeing that I need to get to the roots of the issue. That's really what we were talking about today. Uh, And you know that you need some specialized help quitting pornography once and for all. This is your chance to do it. Our program is called Deep Clean. We have limited spots available at any given time. And I'll tell you right now, these spots are unbelievably limited. So I can't even promise they're available at the time that this comes out. But you can click the link in the show notes to book a call with someone on my team. And I have trained team members who basically take these calls to make sure that you're a good fit for what we do. We don't just let anybody in. As a matter of fact, of you know, uh, the the all the calls that we book, I don't even know how many calls it is these days. It's probably 40 to 50 calls a week that take place. Of those calls, Only about 30% of those people actually come in because we're picky and we want to make sure that we can legitimately help you. So you have very little to lose by booking a call, but everything to gain because this is a system that's going to help you get to the roots. We're going to plug you into a community that's going to love and support you. And you're going to get specialized coaching from some really qualified, certified dudes that are more excited about your freedom than even you are. Um, this is like, this is our bread and butter. I I just get super excited talking about it. So I'm trying to stay focused here, but all this to say is if that's something you want help with book, a call now. The link is in the show notes. In the meantime, make sure you share this episode with somebody that you think might enjoy it. Uh, let's keep spreading the word and I will see you guys in the next episode. Cheering you on. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey everybody. It's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, 
you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Cynthia Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.